Welcome to the Covenant Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at covenantchurch.net. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 21 is one of the great stories of the Bible. If you were to list 20 things, I don't know how you would go past 20 before listing this story. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. So what he's saying is you you can't go in two directions at the same time. You can't have your foot go right and your left foot go left at the same time. You can't have two things that you love equally and give either one of them your full devotion. So if you're going to worship God, worship God. Do it with your whole heart. And if you're going to go serve your idols, he said, then go serve your idols. That's what this is about. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let the Baal prophets choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. I will prepare the other bull, keep in mind, no fire under it, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Repeat. Then you call on the name of your gods. I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God. But what? Put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them. They prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there's no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And when it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud or raise your voices, yell louder. For he's a God. He may be meditating. Or he may be busy. Or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's sleeping and does not want to be awakened. So they cried aloud, cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. What a powerful word of the Lord. As we talk about being caught between two opinions. Not really giving full devotion and love to either one. Elijah, the prophet, is a Tishbite. All we know about him is that he came from a fishing village up in the highlands. And it's like he comes roaring down out of the highland saying, Thus saith God. Wow. And doing miracles that are stupendous even to the final act of his life when he answers and is caught up in a chariot of fire to go to heaven. Now, 
Elijah's in something of a predicament because of things he's saying and doing, even causing it not to rain. Because of these things, Ahab, the king, is trying to kill him. But also, Ahab's wife, or one of his wives, Jezebel, who is a pagan, who worships Baal and has her own prophets that she feeds to worship Baal. Now, there's something that you should know about worshiping idols. If you have an idol, it will allow you to do things that God will not allow you to do. That's why idols are idols, because they're in defiance of God. See, God says you cannot do lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, or have pride in your heart and think that you are better than anybody else. No one. You're not better. God loves everyone equally as a soul. So these are the three sins that when I travel in Indonesia, Haiti, wherever I've gone in 33 countries and been able to preach, I don't have to fight for a sermon. I just preach things about the flesh, the lust of the eye, pride of life, and that Jesus is Savior. Because all over the world, regardless of what kind of clothes people wear, what kind of food they eat, what kind of houses they live in, those are the only three sins that apply to humanity. That's all. You know, did you ever watch Porky the Pig? How many of you ever watched Porky the Pig? Go ahead and look it up on your Google today and say, show me a Porky the Pig cartoon. And how's it always end? That's all, folks. Pencil goes right. That's all, folks. And that's it. No more. You can't add, take away after that lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, pride of life. That's all, folks. So Ahab wants Elijah dead, but Elijah actually shows up when Ahab can't find him. He says, hey, I got a challenge. Why don't you bring Jezebel's prophets up on Mount Carmel, and let's do a little contest up there. Let's see how things go. Bring two bulls. And so he takes them to a place, and this is very important you listen to this part of Scripture because this is not in the Bible. This is in history, okay? It's part of it. It's hidden there. That's why I said put no fire, put no fire, put no fire. Because what the Baal prophets would do, they would go up on a mountain, and they would dig a ditch, a trench, and then cover it up and make a tunnel. And then they'd go up on top, they build an altar, and that tunnel would come up onto the altar, and they would put hot coals in that. And then they'd put wood to be burned, and then they would get out and cry and yell, bail, bail, bail. And so it's given signal down the hillside, two, three hundred yards, whatever else, down the hillside somewhere, somebody starts pumping bellows. You know, bellows pushes air, you know, whoo. Air goes up through the tunnel, hits the live coals, and ignites the wood. And people say, Bell, Bell, he's gone. Look, look, Bell, Bell, Bell sent a fire. 
So Elijah says, I got an idea. Why don't we go up here where nobody's built an altar, and why don't we build an altar and put no fire in it? And so they watch them carefully. The old prophets build, a fire, build a, an altar. They slay a bullet. They lay it on it. And then they cry out. But guess what? There's no fire because there's no bellows. There's no tunnel. There's no coals underneath. So all morning long until the afternoon. Now, you can slide by this really easy, but it's a footnote that it's not small. As it approached the time of the evening sacrifice. What? What's the evening sacrifice? That's the hour in which Christ hung on the cross. That's the time of the day that for 1,500 years, every evening at 3 o'clock, the evening sacrifice was offered. And as it approached that time, Elijah says, okay, guys, that's enough. You guys go clean up your, your bloody arms, get some Band-Aids and all, and y'all go sit over there. So he goes out, rebuilds the altar, and then slays the bullet, puts it on top of the altar, and when he's there, when it's all done, then he says, hey, I, I got an idea. Why don't you bring some water? So now he's erasing all the suspect, all of the thoughts that there's something fishy going on. Pour some water over it. Bring some more water. Pour some water over it. Pour some water over it. And there was a ditch round about and filled up even the ditch. Water ran down off the altar, even filling up the ditch. So now there is no room for any ashes to be alive under the altar. Nothing can be hidden. Now, this is one of the coolest things, I think, in the whole Bible. When you know that you know that you know that you know that God has spoken to you. <laughs> I love this part. So Elijah says, evening sacrifice time. God, you're in your heaven. I'm down here on earth. And we've already talked about this, and we already know what's going to happen. But just so they know, I'm going to talk to you and tell you, you're God. I'm not God. I'm just a man. I'm just a prophet. But you told me what to do, and I've done it. Now you answer. And where'd the fire come from? Came down, didn't it? Fire came down and burned the sacrifice. Not up, but God sent it down. And so now the people know that Baal is no longer a god. He's just an idol. And Elijah says, capture every one of those false prophets. They've been sending people to hell for a long time. That's what idols do. Idols take people to hell. Love of money, love of things, pride of life. And they slew the prophets. Well, that ends kind of that segment of the story, except that basically what happened here was Elijah taught them, you cannot say you're a people of God and also worship Baal. Make your decision. Which side are you going to stand on? Have a single-mindedness. 
wouldn't it be really silly to have a wedding and you've spent thousands of dollars and the bride and groom are standing there and they say, well, Mr. Groom, do you have anything to say? Yes, I'd like to say to my bride here today that I've looked around and I've found a lot of women that I kind of like, but, you know, just the way things are working out and the economics of time and all me getting older, I'm going to take you. Well, that's kind of the way people live in our world. Kind of a half-made-up mind. Not really committed. Now, let me show you something here, if I may please, that helps us to be able to get at this sermon a little more in depth. This is the accident that happened down below Williamsburg, just a little over 100 miles from us the other day. 69 cars piled up, even up on top of each other. 35 people went to the hospital. The reason this accident happened was because there was ice on a bridge and they were not aware of it. And somebody slid and then slid another and another and another until it was 69 vehicles, including cars. And as you can see, trucks, tractors and trailers and trucks. Okay. So what, what we must deduce from this, according to the reports, is that no one was at fault. It was an act of nature and no one was at fault. Now, Let's go over here just a little more, and let's look at uh, uh, Mount Carmel. This is Mount Carmel. When you read about it in the Bible, right there, okay? Very rugged. And Mount Carmel, up here somewhere on top of the mountain, is where the sacrifice had been held. Don't know where, but, and nobody knows, but up on the mountain, looking down over the valley. By the way, the Kidron river or stream runs through this valley. It is the only stream that runs through the valley, so we know it's the valley of Megiddo. So the valley of Megiddo here is at the base of Mount Carmel. Now what's important for you to note is that what happened with Elijah and the prophets up on this mountain is a prelude to what is happening in the future. This area here stretching back over in this direction is Mediterranean Sea, as I recall. And then from here, this goes in toward Jerusalem. More major battles have been fought on this territory than any other piece of geography in the whole world. More world-class battles between major powers. Now, here's what you take home with you. This is also, if you will, please, this is also where... The last battle will be fought before time shall be no more in the valley of Megiddo. So you'll keep that in mind. Now, let's talk about this. So we had, if you please then, we had the accident of 69 vehicles and nobody's at fault. All right? And we're talking about in two days and about 12 hours, 2019 will be over. And when 1201 Wednesday morning AM comes Wednesday morning, there's not a single solitary thing you can do to change the facts of 2019. Done. Now you can write fiction and change things, but it'd just be a lie. Truth of the matter is, 2019 will be what it was forever. You won't be able to change it. But 
let's talk about what happened in the other lane. Can we a moment? You see, this lane had ice. This lane did not have ice. However, people started having accidents in this lane. Who knows why? Raise your hand. Rubbernecking. Rubbernecking. Write it down. It's called rubbernecking. I'm going in that direction, but I'm looking in that direction. And I have a wreck, and somebody hits me, and somebody hits me, and they block the other lane with rubbernecking. Somebody was at fault because they were double-minded. Is that pretty sobering? It is, isn't it? Come on. You can actually laugh at that. Rubbernecking. Well, here we are. What are we going to do with it? Can we learn anything biblically? In Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel were at Mount Hebron, and they kept going around Mount Hebron, around, migrating. Stop when the grass is all eaten down for the animals, and all they move on a little bit, move on, move on. They go around, around, around. I think it was seven times they went around Mount Horeb. Seven times. Now, in another sermon, I preached this, the day that Israel made God dizzy. God got nauseated with them going around and around and around and around, rubbernecking, looking back. And God said to them, you've been doing this long enough. Get in a straight line toward Israel. That's really what he said. Now, I'm sick and tired of this. You're lollygagging. So what is it that holds us back and causes us to look into the past when we're fearful of taking hold of the future? I knew a couple that started dating when they were in their 20s and in their 50s they were still dating because they were afraid to get married. I'd say they were not in love, wouldn't you? Be my take. Afraid to take hold of the future. Well, I don't know what it'd be like. So I'm going to keep taking her out to dinner every week, buying her presents, but I'm not ready to get married yet, 30-some years later. See, this is when we trust the flesh more than we trust God. We're comfortable with what we have, and we don't want to shake it up. It's good for us here, and it would be wonderful if you would invite some of the people who are up in room 204. I think that's the number of it right now. Invite some of our refugees who have lived in refugee camps and take them out to eat. Talk to them about their lives. Living 15 to 20 years in a refugee camp. Christians clustering together to protect their young girls. 
moving in and staying close and not letting their girls get outside of the Christian part of the camp of maybe 1,500 or 2,000 people. Being illegal to go outside the camp in the country they're in, even though they're Nepalese and in Nepal, they are illegal because they lived in Bhutan and they've been rescued back to a refugee camp by the United Nations. Talk to them about having to carry water. Talk to them about having to wait on United Nations truck to bring food. Talk to them about their restrooms. Sorry, they didn't have any. Not like you and I have. The people who are your friends and part of Covenant upstairs, talk to them, and you will figure out why they were very happy one day to get a number roll around and they picked up a suitcase, that's all, no other big old possessions, nothing shipped afterward. They picked up a suitcase or a backpack, and they got on a plane, and they came to America, and they got off with nothing but a backpack. They made up their mind they would give up their own country. They would forfeit their own background, hundreds of years of their own history, to have a chance to live in America. Courage to face the future, not being disobedient to God's instructions. And then we look at Lot's wife. Well, now here's a really great example of rubbernecking. Genesis 18. Lot is Abraham's nephew. Lot has his eye on things. His uncle's older and is actually his kind of father because his father's not along, so he's really acting as his father. And Abraham would have been the chief of the tribe, and what he said was life and death over every person in the camp. But he says to Lot, Lot, look, God's blessed you. You've got sheep, cattle, and etc." And he said, it's just too much. Our, our herdsmen are quarreling. He said, we need to separate and go different directions. And he said, you choose a direction, and I'll take what's left. And Lot looks out and says, grass is really green in that direction. You know, one of my favorite things to do is look at cows in lush green pastures, get down on their knees, literally, and stick their neck through under barbed wire and try and get some grass on the other side when they're already in a field of beautiful grass. How many of you have ever seen that? Oh, thank you. It's, it's a sight to see. Just dumb cows with a barbed wire sticking in their neck and thinking that the grass over there tastes better than right here where it is where I am. So Lot said, I'll take the grassy direction. So he goes off to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's not a pretty story in Sodom and Gomorrah. It gets pretty ugly until finally angels come and say, look, God says he's going to destroy the city. And so Lot, uh, Abraham negotiates with God and gets it down to if you could just find just a few people there. Yeah, yeah, if you find a few, but he couldn't. God said, I'm going to destroy it then. All right. So the angels come and say to Lot and his wife and his family, get your family together. Let's get out of here. Some of his family refused to get together. But Lot and his three daughters, they got together. I think his three daughters. And they head out, and then they hear this horrendous sound behind them, and they were told not to look back. By the way, archaeologists are almost certain they have found this site on planet Earth. 
where the fire and the brimstone, the brimstone is so, so generous proportions, it had to be something catastrophic happened, only one place on earth. And so they're headed out, and they said, do not look back, do not rubberneck. Do not rubberneck. But Lot's wife did. Now, you can imagine whatever you want to. Maybe in the pausing, she stood long enough for the fire and the brimstone to cover whatever. But the Bible said she turned to a pillar of salt because of rubbernecking. Rubbernecking will never take you to where you want to go because you're looking back, and what you're seeing is not really reality. It's a distorted view because you're whizzing by and you're trying to see the past, or you're trying to hold on to the past. And I hope that you are hearing this this morning. You're not the kind of person that you're holding on to things of the past that are destructive to you for the future. Possessions, money, pride, whatever. One Sunday night, as a young pastor, we left after service to go visit with a family in the country. And as we traveled down a dirt country road, I saw, or we saw, emergency vehicles and realized that a large, large country home was on fire. I uh, jumped out of the car, ran to see if I could be of help. In those days, they were more welcome to volunteers than sometimes today with all of our professionals that are here. And I arrived into the yard of the house. And it seems I learned quickly that the family had gotten out safely. But the family had an heirloom clock that was generations back in the family, long, long history of this clock being in the family that had the fire in their home. A neighbor came, and when he arrived, he thought of the clock, and he went into the house to retrieve an heirloom clock. He came out having inhaled too much smoke and heat. I was part of the team that knelt over him and we tried to maintain his life and I watched him die for a clock. That was not even his. That the family had walked away from and he thought he would be a hero and rescue a clock. I would venture to you that there will be countless multitudes in hell as foolish as the man who tried to save somebody else's clock because they're going through life rubbernecking, looking back, and holding on to treasures that are nothing but what will be burned away when the fire of God comes. But if we look forward... We see that God had given the Canaanites Israel. Looking forward takes courage. You're not held back by things in your past. 
Now, if you listen to the Spirit of God, sometimes it'll make you do bold things. Things that don't even make sense. We were in Williamsburg for a couple days this week, first time we've been away since my diagnosis in June, that I recall, first time. And we pulled up into the campus because students were gone. I parked in a place that during the week I could not park when school's in session because I attended the College of William and Mary. Now, the truth of the matter is, if you want to know the background of that story, is that Layla and I graduated with 850 students from a Christian college in Tennessee, that it was the first year of a four-year class, and it was not even accredited. It was only a tentative accreditation. So imagine 850 students in a whole four-year college, and it's not even fully accredited. So we pull up onto William & Mary campus, the College of William & Mary campus, and I, Layla says, do you want me to go with you? I said, no. I need this experience myself. And I walked out onto the grounds and took a big tour. Because you see, there was a day after we'd graduated from that little Christian college, we were whizzing up the interstate, and I was in the right lane, and I don't mind telling you I was doing every legal mile I could do, headed north. I wasn't speeding, as I recall, but I was, I was not going slow. And I looked behind me, and there was no traffic, none. And I hit my left signal light, and I cut across all lanes of traffic in just a wild swerve and took the Williamsburg exit. And Layla said, what on earth are you doing? I said, I'm going to go apply to graduate school at the College of William & Mary. She said, have you lost your mind? Have you forgotten where we came from? Are you kidding me? I walked into the College of William & Mary, and the chairman of the department was in, and he liked me, and we talked. He picked up the phone and called that little college in Tennessee, and he said, send Harold Bear's transcripts directly to me. Got off the phone and looked at me, and he said, prepare to start classes in two weeks. Now, how many stories have you heard like that? And I'm going to tell you, that's when you have the courage to let God work things out. You detach, and you're not afraid of that big old name of the College of William and Mary. You say, I said, you know what? They'd say no. They can say no. That's fine if they want to say no. And that's what you do when you let God direct your feet. You see, the truth of the matter is we're not left here by ourselves. We have these assurances. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. So the things that failed in the past, that's history. Someone said to me the other day the most beautiful thing. They said, I believe that it is the word of God that every day, every day when you wake up, God already has victory stamped over your day. And you have to lose it. You've got to lose victory. <laughs> That's pretty good preaching. God plans no bad days for you. His days are yay. Yay. 
You must see God's resources. You must see the people of God in tandem, in team, each of us doing our part and doing something powerful to God together. I know what time it is. I'm going to finish in a minute. But one of my great stories, if I haven't told you, one of my great stories is that during the Revolutionary War, did I tell you this story recently? Revolutionary War, a soldier rode out of the forest, and he came up on a, a place where they were trying to push logs into place to be a, a bulwark against the British. And the soldier stood and watched, and the sergeant stood over to the side and said, heave, heave, ho! And men down in the mud and their shoulders against the log, they pushed and they pushed, but they couldn't get the log in place. And the soldier gets off of his horse, hangs his hat on a stirrup, goes down into the mud, puts his shoulder to the log, and the sergeant says, heave, heave, ho! And this soldier who rode in heaved with the other men and ho, heave, ho, up, and the log went into place. And the soldier got up and raked as much mud off of himself as he could and walked back up the bank and got on his horse. And the sergeant looked up and said, thank you, soldier, for helping. And he said, as he took his hat and put it on, he said, anytime you need General Washington, send for him. It was General Washington who helped push the log in place. Not too good to get in the mud. I hope that story sticks with you. Jesus said, I must needs go by Samaria. I have some things to do that are bigger than my culture. I don't have any kin people over there. I'm going to be criticized for going over there. Those people don't look like me. They don't dress like me. They don't eat my food. But I have to go by there. You hear him saying, I must be about my father's business? Do you hear him saying words like, I must finish what he has sent me to do? That's not rubbernecking. That's getting your feet together and marching in a straight line. I finish with this illustration. Our high school was only 475 students, and we had an 85-member marching band. Most of us were poor people. We didn't have a lot of money, and our uniforms were horrible and years old, and we just, we just suppress them, and literally some of them, they were frayed at the bottom, and we marched in parades against some of the greatest bands on the East Coast and took first-place honors because we would press those uniforms and starch them, and we marched. I want to tell you a story about marching. One day we were out in the football field, and the bandmaster was up in the tower, and he got really angry with us, and sometimes, even though he was a high school coach, high school bandmaster, he would say words that you ought not say. He got so angry. And then he said, Harold, Bob, and Sue, come up here. And he rotated three at a time to the top and had the rest of the band go through rotation because he couldn't get us in line. And when we went up and we looked down, every time that three people went up, three converts came down. And we knew what to do. And we went to the contest and took first place because we marched straight and together. <laughs>
I want that to sink into your hearts today. No rubbernecking. Don't take me back. You know what? When we hire new employees here, I say to them, I will listen to your sad story one time. That's all. I run out of patience after the first time because I didn't do it to you. But I will listen to it one time. But after that, you're here. Let's march. Let's go forward. Now, 2019 is almost done. The real question is, what are you going to do about 2020? And I'm not going to keep you here, but I'm going to tell you what. When I realized that if I had not felt that little tenderness in my side, I'd be a dying man now. But instead, the doctor says, I see no cancer. And I said, and Layla and I, listening on the phone, we're in the car. He said, I don't see any need to see you anymore. And we took each other's hand. In that grip of each other's hands, we said, we will serve you. We will serve you. And that's my commitment to you, and that's what I want your commitment to be. We will serve him. We're going to stir it up. Over here is a new family. Stand, please. Come in. This is a new family. You know what? They've been coming several Sundays. This week they came to us on Christmas Eve, and they said, we like it. We're staying, but we are serving people. Tell us something to do. We will not sit in a pew. That's the way they're coming in the doors. That's the way. Growth track one begins next week. It's four weeks that will happen in this room with videos and discussion to get your feet. Well, you've been here 20 years and say, I really don't understand. I'd like to understand. If we fill out the room, we'll move over to the other side. So it's not for just newcomers. It's not for visitors. It's for everyone because we believe God has called us and challenged us to reach this community in a new and a fresh way. A wave of evangelism. A wave of outreach. I am looking for miracles next week, next year. I'm going to put 2019 behind me and say, thank God it's done. 2020 Covenant Vision 2020, let's run. I want you to stand with me in this place this morning. And if you need prayer, I want you to come forward. I want you to come now if you'd like for someone to pray with you. I look back and I see some folks in here who are so incredibly capable. I know you personally. I know your talents and your skills. You can shake whole communities with your talent and your skill. I pray that will happen this year. I pray for a holy boldness upon you. I pray that you will remember your number one mission is kingdom work. That's your number one mission. God's calling you. He's calling you to his kingdom. God, I thank you that you are helping us to understand that being torn between two opinions is a terrible, miserable way to live. It's self-destructive to ourselves, to others, and to your kingdom work. I pray that you would help us to get our feet together and walk in a straight line. 
that you would somehow take us up to your tower and help us to look down at the field and say, I know what to do. I know how to get my feet in queue. I know how to pay attention to the director. I know now where to stand. Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to anoint us with a great anointing. I pray for revival to break forth. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken us. I pray that we may become a firebrand to this community. I pray, Father God, that you would purge us and cleanse us and make us to be a people of God that when we go out, the world sees that we are different. We're not having a religious exercise on a Sunday, but we're worshiping our God and tuning our hearts to heaven. Send us forth this flaming firebrands, I pray. Purge us and cleanse us and make us to be vessels useful for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God bless you.